All right, here we go. Welcome, everybody, to the Amateur Hour, the third episode of the Amateur Hour, the one and only show that shows you how to think rather than what to think. Of course, hosted by me, your humble host, Dr. Bradley, the unlicensed, uncredentialed doctor of classical liberal thought and common sense. This week, oh boy, we have got a lot to talk about. COVID, Black Lives Matter, inflation, patriotism, climate change, mass shootings. What do they all have in common? Well, I guarantee you there is a common thread, and we are going to find out what that is right now. Okay. So what do all of these things have in common? What the hell does COVID have to do with climate change? What the hell does gun violence have to do with social justice? I'll tell you. It's language. Well, Dr. Bradley, of course it's language. Those are all words in the English language. And I would say to you, yes, of course they are. But why is language so important? Why, why even focus on the mere fact that they are all connected through the simple idea of language? It's because language is how we communicate with each other. It's how we communicate ideas. It's how we communicate our feelings to one another. It's how we communicate everything. It's also the way that we make sense of the world. It's how we turn the scary, chaotic world into a perceptible form of order. It's how we perceive the world to be. And the perception, that perception that we create through our language becomes our reality. Without language, without the ability to call one thing this and another thing that, they stay nameless. They retain mystery. They become chaos. We pull the world out of chaos into order by simply describing the world. And that's the importance of language. So when we talk about COVID, when we talk about climate change, when we talk about gun violence, all of those things matter so much in the way that we describe them, the way that we talk about them, it creates our perception on these issues and it shapes our individual personal realities by the way that we talk about them and engage with those ideas. That's what we're going to talk about today, but more importantly, not just talk about the language that we use to describe those issues or communicate those ideas, but how People in the public sector, people in government, and even people in the media use very specific targeted language to make you look at an idea a particular way, to make you think about a particular issue in the way that they want you to think about it, rather than the way you might think about it on your own if given the chance. Because they cannot afford to let you think about an issue on your own. They need and depend on you to think about it in the way that 
they want to think. So that's what we're going to get into today. Obviously, that's why it's worth talking about. It's because it has been so weaponized the past few generations. We've seen it a lot right now the past five, ten years. It has gone to another level that we have never seen before, especially the past three years as it relates to COVID. So we're going to get into all of that, see how it's been weaponized against us, see how other people have tried to get you to view the world the way they want you to, rather than the way the world actually is, the way that you might perceive it yourself. So let's jump into that right now. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Let me give you an example of just how powerful language can be. Before we get really, really deep into it, let's talk about the last three years, what we have all been through. If you guess COVID, you are absolutely right. Good guess. It's the only thing that we've all been through the past three years unless you live in Florida, in which case, congratulations. But what about COVID? What haven't we talked about? Are we going to talk about language and vaccine mandates? No, we are not going to talk about vaccine mandates. We're not going to talk about mask mandates. We're not going to talk about travel bans. What we're going to talk about is actually, in this case, the absence of language. So... Imagine you're talking to your friend about what happened the past three years and you want to talk about your gym closed. Most people say, yeah, COVID closed my gym or because of the pandemic, I got laid off or I couldn't travel to see my family because of the pandemic. Do you realize what you're actually saying? By blaming COVID, by blaming the pandemic, you are actually absolving people of their responsibility for what happened in this country and the rest of the world. COVID did not do any of this. COVID caused people to get sick. COVID caused people to be hospitalized. COVID even contributed and outright caused a lot of deaths. Absolutely. I am definitely not refuting that. COVID did not cause your gym to close. COVID didn't cause your gym to close. COVID didn't close your son's school. COVID didn't put you out of a job. COVID didn't shut down your business. People did that. People created policy that shut your business doors, that closed your son or daughter's schools, put you out of a job, destroyed your life, caused irreparable harm psychologically to your young child. They, people, instituted mask mandates. People instituted vaccine mandates. People did this. So every time you say COVID did this or pandemic did that, you immediately absolve the people responsible for their actions. So when I talk about language and its power, 
you may not have even realized that you are guilty of using the language that other people have put on you. Politicians have blamed the pandemic. Politicians have blamed COVID. But would you have done that on your own? Probably not, because you know deep down that people created the policies that shut your business down, that kept your kids out of school, that kept you home locked in your house, that forced you to wear a mask, that coerced you to get a vaccine that maybe you otherwise would have not. People did this. That is how amazingly important language is to talk about because just in the past three years, we've seen just how utterly irresponsible people have been, how wrong they have been, and yet how unaccountable they've been held. We talked a lot about accountability last week. That's what this all boils down to. And I'm so glad that we talked about accountability last week because everything we're diving into today ties right back to that. And language, the way that politicians use it for the most part, is designed to, again, make you think a certain way about the world, but it also shields them from being held accountable, from being held responsible for what happens. That's just one example. Now, as much as I love to criticize the left, both the left and the right are equally guilty of using language to manipulate the way that we think. And let me demonstrate that right now with a couple of different takes. One of something that's happened in the past three, uh, I mean, it's happened, I guess, the past five years. Um, starting with Trayvon Martin, if I'm not mistaken, but uh, definitely exploding onto the scene the past three years. And then, of course, we have an example from the right that goes back. I mean, it's been happening every year since 2001. And with the left, I'm talking about Black Lives Matter. And with the right, I'm talking about patriotism. Patriotism. What does it mean to be a patriot? Well, what the hell does Black Lives Matter even mean? Well, you got to give it to the left. The left undoubtedly owns linguistic manipulation in a way that the right could only dream of. If you want to think about the left and Black Lives Matter, think about it in this way. What is Black Lives Matter? Well, Black Lives Matter is certainly a cause It's about supporting black lives in any way, shape, or form, correct? Kind of, but not really. Black Lives Matter is an organization that receives money. And unless you have been willfully ignorant and stuck your head in the sand, you would know that the people who run Black Lives Matter have been using all of your money to buy mansions, multiple houses, embezzling your money, your donations. But you can't say how terrible Black Lives Matter is because if you do, oh my God, you're you're a racist. You are a white supremacist. You're a patriarchal, slave-wanting, white supremacist, Nazi, Nazi, Nazi. 
Hitler-loving piece of shit. That's what you are if you say Black Lives Matter is bad. It doesn't matter that you're talking about the organization because the organization is the cause. And they have geniusly tied the name of their organization to their supposed cause. So if you don't support Black Lives Matter, then you're all of those terrible, terrible things. But has Black Lives Matter improved any community? Any black community? Anywhere? Baltimore? Minneapolis? Anywhere? Absolutely not. The only black lives that apparently matter to the people who run Black Lives Matter are their own lives. That's why they buy mansions with your money. That's why they embezzle it. It has nothing to do with caring about the black community, but they use language to convince you that they do. So you'll give them money so that they can buy their mansions. And technically, they're not wrong. They believe black lives matter. But again, it's just their own black lives that matter. Not all black lives that matter. Now you want to look at the right. The right has been doing this for decades now. I mean, even going all the way back to Reagan, but certainly since 9-11. And that is the overuse. Beating a dead horse with the word patriotism. Being a patriot, as though that's the thing all conservatives really aspire to be is a patriot. We all want to be George Washington. But what the hell does that even mean? Does being a patriot mean respecting the flag, flying the flag proud, not burning the flag, standing for the national anthem rather than kneeling? My God, how dare Colin Kaepernick or anybody else kneel for the national anthem, you un-American, unpatriotic piece of shit. Let's not forget the fact that the founding fathers uh, were absolutely rebellious and despised authority for the sake of authority and probably would have supported everybody's freedom of expression to kneel or not even acknowledge a national anthem, which we didn't even have at that time. Um, so it, I, I don't understand that. I don't understand this idea that we have to, you know, support the flag and, you know, patriotism is, uh, you know, loving our country, but not our government, which I totally agree with. But how, like, what's, where, where's the line? What's the criteria for being a patriot? Does it mean supporting the troops? Blindly? Even when they are instruments of the government and they're protecting poppy fields in Afghanistan or they're making prisoners uh, pose for pictures buck-ass naked in Abu Ghraib? Is that, is that being a patriot? Supporting those troops? Supporting all the troops because they're troops? It's an honest question. You may hate me because I'm posing a question. I'm, I'm posing a question that I shouldn't perhaps even be asking. Because how dare I? 
But it's the same thing with, you could say, law enforcement. Do you have a back the blue sticker on your truck, your car? Why? Why do you back the blue? The same people that shoot dogs that aren't doing anything, the people that, as I said in last week's episode, mace people for filming them, the same people that work for the government, the same people that raided Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence, the same people that will come and take your guns when ordered to. You got you to gotta remember, the police do not work for you. You do not cut their check. It comes from the state. It comes from the city. And they collect your taxes, sure. But they don't know you. You, you, they don't come to your house and you don't hand them a donation. They get their, 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 they get their check cut from the government. They work for the state. They are the violent arm of the state. They are there to enforce laws, constitutional or not. And yes, you have some really exemplary law enforcement officers who understand when the constitution is being violated but you have a lot of officers who are poorly trained, who are corrupt and are egotistical and they have no problem betraying their oath, not serving the citizenry. They have no problem standing outside a school while kids are getting shot because they're afraid to go in because no one's told them it's okay to go in. So when you blindly support law enforcement, you might as well put a I love politician sticker on your car right next to it. Because if you're going to support somebody simply because they hold a particular job, then why not support all the people who have particularly noble jobs in your opinion? Because don't, don't forget, there was a period in time where, where politicians used to be respected. There was a period in time where it was okay, it was even admired if a kid wanted to be in the House of Representatives or a United States Senator or be President of the United States. There was a time where we had real statesmen and aspiring to be a statesman a politician was not disgusting. But now we've had so many politicians that are absolutely terrible and corrupt and incompetent that wanting to be a politician is almost unthinkable unless you're just a power-hungry individual. I mean, for God's sakes, kids want to be YouTube and TikTok, TikTok influencers more than they want to be astronauts. Or statesmen. So when we talk about the left and the right and their use of language, use these two examples to remind yourself just how bad it is on either side. That no party is innocent in this respect. Both parties are equally guilty in using language to try and control you and get you to believe what they want you to believe. And man, if you thought that patriotism was vague and ambiguous, again, the right 
just does not even compare. It pales in comparison to the left. Left, all-time high score in terms of the use of language to manipulate you, the way you think, the way that they can call something one thing and have it be absolutely ambiguous. Because if it's ambiguous, it can mean anything, everything. One of my favorite examples of this is social justice. What is social justice? Well, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's justice, but like, it's, it's, you know, social. It's like out there in society. It's not like, you know, in a courtroom justice, it's like societal, it's big, it's cultural. Okay, fair enough. I get that. I kind of get that. There have been a lot of societal wrongs perpetrated throughout this country's founding. Slavery, obviously a huge one. Racial. You have Jim Crow. Racial. You have FDR. Oh, I know. He's he's the hero of the left. He uh, got us out of the Great Depression. Wrong. He got us, uh, you know, got us through World War II. But he imprisoned Japanese citizens in internment camps during World War II. Absolutely racist. But let's not talk about that. Let's only talk about social justice as it relates to what are some sexy social justice areas. Okay. Uh, black versus white. Male versus female. Those are the only areas where I ever hear social justice brought up despite the fact that there have been a seemingly limitless amount of atrocities committed by our government against its own people, whether it's Native Americans, whether it's, you know, the Branch Davidians, like we talked about last week, Ruby Ridge, all sorts of terrible, terrible crimes committed by our government against its own people. But the only time we ever hear social justice brought up is when it pertains to white people and how they have wronged black people since our country's founding or how men have oppressed women. And I'm not going to try and deny that white people did terrible things to black people as it relates to slavery, Jim Crow. I'm not going to deny that men have oppressed women throughout our country's history. But what is social justice? Is that going to solve anything? First of all, define it. Because the way I see it, social justice is simply trying to assume someone's guilt who is likely no longer alive and then try to find retribution, find a way to right a historical wrong. And I get that. I get the desire to do that. If I could go back in time and prevent slavery from ever happening, who wouldn't do that unless you are just in favor of slavery? Who wouldn't go back and try to fight for women's rights or make sure that they are equal under the law upon this country's founding. 
I think especially in this day and age, most people would agree that all men are created equal and that it took a long time to get to this point where pretty much everybody has the same judicial rights, the same legal rights. I mean, they, you know, not to get too technical, but yes, everybody has always had the same legal rights. It's whether or not they have been fully recognized by our government. But unlike actual justice, social justice presumes guilt and then tries to fix it. Real justice, the only justice, assumes innocence and then requires proof of guilt. Furthermore, it does not punish people for crimes they did not commit. And this is an argument that many people, smarter than myself, have made. How can you possibly fix slavery by providing reparations to people who were not slaves? funded by people who never owned slaves, which is what California is attempting to do. Explain to me how that is justice. Sure, one party might be given something that perhaps they deserve based on what their ancestors went through, but can you explain to me how it is fair to force somebody who never participated in slavery to pay for reparations to someone who was never a slave? I can't wrap my head around that one. But the bigger question is, and this is where social justice is a brilliant amorphous term, is that it's never-ending. Unlike actual justice, and there is only actual justice, social justice is, is an attempt at adding a qualifier to the word justice. That's just impossible. You either have justice or you have injustice. You cannot have social justice. You cannot have gender justice. You cannot have animal justice. You cannot have Dr. Bradley justice. There's only justice, and there is only injustice. You have one, or you have the other. There are no degrees between the two. So social justice, first and foremost, to me, is a non-starter. But let's assume for the sake of argument that social justice is a real thing and that we need to address it. But where does it end? Unlike real justice, where... If someone commits a murder, they're arrested, they go to trial, they are found guilty, and then they are sentenced to life, possibly multiple life sentences, perhaps they're even sentenced to death. But with social justice, there are no end to the atrocities or the inequities or the tragedies that have occurred since this nation's founding. And there is no limit to where you can go with that. So the real honest question you have to ask yourself if you are someone who believes in social justice and ask yourself, if you believe in social justice, really ask yourself this question because it is important. And they don't want you to ask yourself this question. They don't want you to come up with the answer. But the question is, when have you achieved justice? When does it stop?
At what point have we gotten past slavery? At what point have we gotten past Jim Crow? At what point can we move as a country, as a society, as a culture past women's suffrage and any inequalities between men and women, blacks, whites, whatever it may be? There has to be a point at which we as a country, as a society, can positively move forward and put this issue behind us. Because if we don't, if we cannot find a point at which this is no longer an issue or a point at which justice has not been achieved, it will, first of all, continue to go on forever but secondly, it will hold us back. Just like anybody who's experienced any sort of tragedy and lets that tragedy define them and they find themselves unable to move past that tragedy, then we will sink. There is nowhere for us to go. If we are simply defined by our injustices, the wrongs that we have committed, if there is no way to atone for our sins, then we're doomed. We have nothing to look forward to. If there's no end point, then what's the point? Why even bother trying to right these wrongs if it just goes on in perpetuity forever? There has to be a moment at which point we can move past all of these injustices from our founding all the way up and through the present day. If you thought social justice was bad, let me tell you about my favorite leftist term. It is just, I mean, if there's anything that tells you that conservatives, Republicans are just way behind in terms of the power of manipulative language, it's got to be climate change. Oh my God, Brad, how can you be, how can you be again? How can you, how can you say that climate change is, are you saying climate change isn't real? Are you saying that you want to poison the earth and that you want to drive gas guzzling Hummers all over the place and, and you want to burn dirty coal and you want nuclear waste everywhere and pollution just clouding the skies and just all of that? No. I absolutely think environmentalism is important. Responsible environmentalism is absolutely important. And any politician, conservatives especially, because the left owns climate change and all the scare tactics therein. But if you're a conservative, if you're a Republican, and you really want to counter that, you ought to definitely embrace responsible environmentalism, encourage people to adopt particularly environmentally uh, uh, positive policies, behaviors. But climate change is a BS term. It absolutely is. And I don't want to date myself any more than I already have the past several episodes, but I remember when climate change was not called climate change. If you're old enough, do you remember what climate change used to be called? It was called global warming. 
global warming. Why? Oh my God, the earth was heating up. I don't know if you remember Al Gore, Bill Clinton's vice president, environmental guru, Al Gore, who had a hit movie and it projected and predicted that the earth was heating up far too rapidly, that the seas would boil. The earth would essentially be on fire. Nothing would live. Everything would die. And then that didn't happen. His quote-unquote inconvenient truth didn't happen. So they made more predictions. Well, it was, you know, we're off by a little bit. Off by like a year or two years. But don't worry. The, the, the earth is going to, it's going to heat up and everything's going to be on fire and the, uh, the seas will boil. And we just like, we're all, we're all screwed. Everything's going to be dead in, in five, it's like five more years. I know we're off by a little bit, but like, wait, five more years. If we don't do, if we don't do something now, everything's dead in five years. And then that didn't happen. And they kept adjusting and adjusting their predictions and it kept not coming true. So how could you keep people scared if everything you predicted didn't happen? You change what you call it. Stop calling it global warming. Just start calling it climate change. That's much better. Why? Because, well, now everything that goes wrong. Every sort of freak weather pattern, every sort of weather-related disaster or catastrophe is related to climate change. Human-caused climate change. Any hurricane, any storm, any tornado, any earthquake, any fire, it's all because we're screwing up the planet. We are killing the planet and something has to be done. You need to pay us more taxes. We, you have to go buy an electric vehicle. You have to let you know child slaves in Africa mine lithium for your battery because we have too many emissions. And if we don't do something now, then the earth will change. It might get colder. It's never been this cold. It must be climate change. It's slightly hotter than last year. Climate change. It rained more than it did last year. Oh, my God, climate change. It didn't rain as much as it did last year. Climate change. If it's not perpetually 72 degrees and partly cloudy like in Pleasantville, then, my God, we are just killing the earth. It is constant climate change. Just hand over all your money. Have the politicians solve the problem. Make sure everybody is driving EVs. Make sure there are zero emissions, especially in the U.S., because we're the worst. Don't, don't, you need to ignore the fact that uh, most of the world's pollution comes from China and India and developing parts of Asia, especially ocean pollution. If you care about the oceans, it's... It's the straws. All the straws came from us, guys. We need to ban those straws. Make sure that they are paper. If you're worried about air pollution, you better buy a Tesla. You better buy an EV because uh, it doesn't really matter what's going on in China or India or any of those places. We are the bad guys. We have, we have wronged and sinned so much that we have to be the ones to bear the burden 
of climate change. And I'm not saying you shouldn't buy an electric car, you shouldn't buy a hybrid car, you shouldn't be concerned about emissions or water quality or air quality, any of that stuff. But to listen to the experts who, especially who have been wrong on literally everything under the sun for the past 20 or more years as it relates to environmentalism alone, you got to stop. If you really care about the environment too, think about it like social justice. What's the end goal? When have we achieved perfect harmony? When is the environment no longer in danger? When have we finally stopped killing our planet? If you haven't even asked yourself that question, let alone know the answer to that question, then why are you buying into what they're selling? If it's a crisis, where's the finish line? When are you out of the crisis? Whether it relates to COVID, I mean, if you live in China, it was zero COVID policy for a while. Zero was the goal. And as stupid of, of a goal as that is, it was a goal. Where's the goal with social justice? Where is the goal with climate change? Where's the end? When have we crossed the finish line? They don't have an answer. Okay, so what? Why does this matter? Who cares? If social justice is bullshit, who cares if climate change is nonsense? I mean, you could argue that even if there's no end, if there's no finish line, what does it matter? We're still trying to right some wrongs. We're still trying to fix the environment. It doesn't matter if we have zero criteria as to what a perfect environment looks like. It doesn't matter if we have an idea as to what real justice, social justice looks like, as long as we're constantly pursuing that goal, fair enough. But when you become accustomed to manipulating language in the way that we have at least the past 20 years, it's been going a lot on a lot longer than that, but it is, it is really ratcheted up the past two decades, the past generation, when you do that and you become accustomed to it and it becomes the norm, ultimately what happens is you start to bend reality. You start to warp your perception. It's the vagueness of the language. It's not designed to give you an accurate sense of the situation. It's designed to elicit an emotional response. When they say mass shooting, that really just means three or four people. But when you say a mass shooting, three or four people don't feel like a mass of people. A mass is a, is a big group. And yes, there have been a few mass shootings this year that have been larger groups of far more than four but when you say that there have been more mass shootings than there have been days and you don't define what a mass shooting is, you don't tell people that it's, hey, it's this amount of people that constitutes a mass shooting. And you have to rely on the person to go and look it up for themselves. What you're hoping is, is that you will have elicited an emotional response. You'll have let that person's imagination run away with that term. 
and leap to the worst possible conclusion that it's just been massacres after massacres and it's been tens and dozens and maybe a hundred people. That's what you're hoping. So we're constantly, because we've become accustomed to using vague language, we've become accustomed to bending reality to fit political narratives. And ultimately, we've gotten to a point where we even are now denying, full-blown denial, denying reality as it is. Whereas once we would use language to help craft our perception and help shape our reality, we are now using language to deny our reality and say that reality is subjective. And what am I specifically talking about? I'm talking about gender identity specifically. Um, and this is, this is going to be another touchy subject. A lot of people who are already conservatives, uh, you're, you're probably already on board with whatever I'm about to say. If you, are, if you lean a little left, you're probably already thinking, my God, he's transphobic. How could he even bring up gender politics, gender identity? But I would say to you, first of all, I don't care what you do. If you're an adult, I don't care what you do as long as you don't hurt somebody else. You want to dress up as a woman, pretend you're a woman. If you want to call yourself a woman, totally fine. Have no problem with that. If you want to get gender reassignment surgery, knock yourself out. I personally don't think it's psychologically beneficial i think it's slightly tragic but it's not me it's it's not my body it's not my person you are your own person you should do what you feel like benefits you but do not think for a second that if you were born a man that you can change your dna and become a woman or vice versa it just is not possible. And if you are someone who is out there proclaiming that a man can become a woman or a woman can become a man, but you also claim that a woman is whatever somebody wants to identify is, then why does it even matter what you identify as? If it's just a word and it's just subjective, right? How can you, why would you, if you're, if you're born a man, why would you want so desperately to be a woman? If a woman is something, something you can just identify as, if it has no intrinsic value, if it has no real substance, abstract or tangible, why does it matter with what you call yourself, right? But to go out there and say that you were born one way and now at your core, at your DNA base level, you are something entirely different is, I mean, it's just wrong. It's, it's incorrect. I'm not saying it's morally wrong, but it's just a fact. And 
sadly nowadays that's controversial and we we used to not be this way to where it's saying something like this was controversial but we've gotten to a point now where we have been so accustomed to using language to manipulate reality bend our perception that we've now gone full-blown into denial that reality is not actual reality, that it's whatever we make it to be, whatever we decide it is, is what it is. And that's great. If that's what you want to do, if that's how you want to engage in the world, so be it. But that is a terrible long-term solution. Because at some point... At some point, the world will slap you upside the head and reality will slap you upside the head. Reality does not care what you identify as. Reality does not care what you think about the world. Reality does not care if you think of yourself as a patriot. Reality does not care if you support Black Lives Matter. Reality does not care... If you care about global warming or social justice, reality is always going to be reality, regardless of how you define it. And if you are not in a line with reality in the way that you label things or perceive things, then at some point you are going to come face to face with reality and it is going to be painful. Absolutely painful. When your perception of reality does not meet reality, then that's going to hurt. And it's going to perhaps throw you down a spiral, throw you into chaos, depression, whatever it may be. Because if your idea of reality and actual reality don't mesh and there is a massive misalignment, And you can't accept that misalignment. If you cannot make that adjustment and actually meet reality head on, that's where you're going to run into problems. So my advice to you is to stop pretending. Start, I mean, especially if you're on the left in the past two years, you're, you're talking about, uh, especially, you know, vaccines, trust the science. It's science, 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 science. Okay. If you believe in science, then you believe in all science. Biological, physics, time, gravity, all the fun, juicy, sexy sciences. You believe in all of them. You don't get to cherry pick. And you don't get to call things something differently and then expect reality to conform to what you call it. Your language ought to be an attempt to describe what is actually happening in front of you, what reality actually is, not an attempt to bend reality to what you want it to be. There's only so many things you can control in this world. You can control yourself. Physically, you can control yourself mentally. You can maybe manipulate the actual physical environment around you. You might be able to manipulate certain people into behaving a certain way in your relationships. 
but you can't control ultimate reality. So you got to stop pretending. And rather than use language to manipulate perception, rather than use language to shield you from reality, use language to call things what they are. That's my biggest piece of advice to anybody listening, watching today. If you're conservative, if you're liberal, you have to call things what they are. Speak the truth, not your truth. There is no your truth. There is only the truth, and then there's everything else. Just like there's justice or there's injustice, there is the absolute truth, and then there's everything else. And you can do your best to discover the truth. Maybe you may not actually accurately define it, call it what it precisely is, but your attempt should always be to call things what they are. Speak the truth. Stop being ambiguous. Stop tiptoeing around issues. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. Talk to people directly. Because when you actually accept responsibility, when you actually speak plainly, you are beholden to the truth. You are embracing the idea that a truth exists and that it exists outside of you and what you want to try and frame it as or shape it as. It is there. It is objective. Whether you want the world to be a certain way or not, it is it just is. And the world sometimes sucks. And it's full of suffering, no doubt. But it does you no good to bury your head in the sand and pretend like everything's okay. The best thing you can do is confront the world as it is. Speak the truth. And actually try and do something meaningful about it with the truth. And if any of this resonates with you, amazing. I love that so much. And every one of us, regardless of what kind of, you know, left or right, doesn't matter. The truth is absolutely so important. Language is so absolutely critical to our existence, to our culture. And the more that we can use language to speak plainly, shape the world by calling things as they are, embracing the idea of the truth that leads to more accountability within oneself, the community, and expands outward. All right, this week's book is a book called Manliness. How could you recommend a book called Manliness? After all we've talked about today, how could you recommend a book that's about manliness? Well, I will tell you why. Because manliness is not simply about men. Manliness is a quality. When you want to talk about the truth and speaking the truth, that requires manliness. Or as the Greeks referred to it as tumos or spiritedness. It requires seeking the truth, engaging with the truth, engaging with the world forthrightly rather than shirking away from it, rather than trying to redefine the world, to avoid the world or change it into a way that's comfortable for you. Manliness, and this book is all about the importance 
of that spiritedness, that quality of courage and bravery, engaging with the real world as difficult as it is, still going out there and engaging with the world and confronting it positively. That's what this book is about. It is an absolutely phenomenal book. It's written by a guy named Harvey Mansfield, who I believe is, is in his 90s right now. But it chronicles all of this. Everything we've talked about today, it touches on it. Whether it's, it's the negative effects of feminism and how it's actually destroyed women. The negative effects of men not being manly. I mean, you want to talk about the idea of, of another great term, toxic masculinity? Maybe you believe in toxic masculinity, but if you do, what does that term mean? Well, it does imply that masculinity itself is not toxic. If you have to go out of your way to qualify a certain type of masculinity as toxic, it means inherently masculinity is not toxic. Whether it's beneficial or not, it's at least not toxic. So this book is an absolute foundational book as it relates to language, language and politics, how we see and shape the world, our engagement with truth, all of that amazing stuff. Check this book out. I highly recommend it. Before we wrap up today, I do want to end on a slightly serious note. I do want to take a brief moment here to acknowledge somebody very, very important who recently just passed away. Uh, professor Ted McAllister was a professor at the University of Pepperdine, Pepperdine University, and he passed away this week. Um, absolutely amazing man, super inspiring, uh, a true romantic, a true believer in everything that we cover today, speaking the truth, living forthrightly, engaging bravely in the world. He was an absolutely inspiring figure to me personally, and I know a great many other people. And uh, it is a lesser world without him in it. Okay, guys, that is it. Thank you guys so much for staying tuned this entire time. Again, we have gotten into some really meaty subjects the past three episodes. It's only been the first three episodes of this program, and we have already tackled some incredibly dense, important stuff. So thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you guys for listening. If you're listening on Spotify, my name is Dr. Bradley. Follow me on Instagram at drbradley. If you like what you saw, if you didn't like what you saw, drop a comment down below. Let me hear about it, please. And as always, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, share this with your friends, get this show out there, get the conversations going, and I will see you guys next week. Thank you guys so much for watching. See you soon.